Thank you so much. Uh, if you have a Bible, would you please turn to Philippians? And we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. All I could hear was her screaming, Oh my God! Oh my God, someone help me. And I, I sprinted out of our house and I could see that her car was rolling backwards down the hill where we live. And this lady, her young, her little boy had been choking and she'd pulled over to try and help him. She'd got out of the car, closed the door, but as she'd got out, she realized that she hadn't put the handbrake on. And so her car was beginning to roll down the road against the flow of traffic. I reached out to try and grab the front door to open it and to grab the handbrake, but the door was locked from the inside. And she was literally behind the car, backwards, trying to hold it back. And she was moving with the car as it was going down the hill. And I joined her trying to push the car up, but it was, it was far too heavy. It was completely out of control. And I just started shouting at her, let go. You have to let go. We've got to let go. And she wasn't having any of it. She was just trying to push as hard as she could with all the strength that she had. But I stepped away and I just said, you've got to let go. And finally she let go. The car continued to go down, thankfully avoiding all of the other cars. It veered up the pavement and crashed into the wall. And her two children inside were pretty shaken and shot, but thankfully they were unhurt. I wish I could say the same about the bumper of the car. And if she hadn't let go, she would have looked similar to the bumper, crushed under the weight of the car. I want to talk to you today about the power of letting go. It's hard to let go especially the things that are most precious and valuable to us. 
In today's competitive culture, it, it goes against all our natural instinct. Everything in us says, don't let go. Take control. Get a grip of your life. But I believe today in this passage, Jesus shows us a different way. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of worship. Because ultimately, letting go leads to life. Nothing that is under his control is ever out of control. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's reminding them what it means to live a life of worship. And he uses Jesus as the benchmark. Jesus as the, the model, the example of perfect worship. In verse 1, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit. In, in that verse, it's like he's asking this question. What does a life look like that is in relationship with Jesus? United with him. Comforted in the knowledge of his love. In step with the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, what should our worship as a church look like? Paul says that to worship is to humble ourselves, to bow down, to lay ourselves down and to let go. The Greek word for worship, proskunio, it, in the New Testament, it's used 66 times. And it literally means, I come towards to kiss. But this isn't a kiss of two equals, like between a man and a woman. This is, this is like the, the picture they give is like a dog licking its master's hand. There's intimacy, there's relationship, and yet there's reverence and humility. Everyone worships. The question is not whether we will worship, but what will we worship? Even atheists, even agnostics worship. Worship is our response to what we value the most. Some people worship a sports team. I come very close occasionally to worshiping Manchester United. <laughs> not at the moment, they're doing pretty badly. Some people worship celebrities. Some people worship material things. Some people worship physical fitness. Some people worship themselves. This is the root of sin, which at its heart is self-centeredness. Anything that separates us from God. Even the word sin has I at the center. I find it ironic that the sort of technological advancement of our generation has I at the start. iMac, iPad, iPhone, which I try not to worship every moment of every day. Worship is removing ourselves from the center and making God central. I love it that Craig Rochelle's uh, Biblical podcast is called You Version. 
It's a great way to access Nikki and Pippa's, Pippa's Bible in one year. That's a great thing to do at the start of this term, to fix our eyes on him. Because simply speaking, worship is about saying, you must increase, I must decrease. You have control, I'm letting go. A friend of ours, of mine and Emily's, he's not a, not a churchgoer, but a little while ago, he took pride in saying to me that he, he drinks, but not too much. He smokes, but not too much. Because he can't bear the thought of anything having control over him. He loves coming along to our Christmas services. He's been along to one or two of our guest services with Michael Ramsden. And I would say he's even encountered the Holy Spirit in those gatherings. But the thing that stops him from becoming a Christian, from giving his life to Jesus, is his fear of letting go. What he doesn't understand yet, so we're still praying for him, or one of our names on our 1102 prayer campaign, what he doesn't understand that actually as he lets go of his own life, he can allow God to take control of the wheel of his life, trusting in God's perfect plan, knowing that he is loved by God. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become because he made us. We're created to worship. When we fully grasp that we're loved, unconditionally, completely, wholeheartedly, in spite of all our faults and failures, our past mistakes, warts and all, the only way that we can respond is to worship him. And that worship, it, it starts with wonder. When you're, when you're wowed by something in wonder, it's like you can't help but express it. Emily and I were fortunate enough this summer to go on holiday, and we went to the lakes and mountains in the France, and our four boys most days were teasing us because every time we saw a beautiful view, we would just go, wow, boys, isn't that absolutely stunning? And they kind of just sort of looked at us and shrugged their shoulders, weren't really bothered. But we were like, wow, look at the view. Wow, look at those mountains. Wow, look at the lakes. You see, we couldn't help but express it. We couldn't stay silent. But of course, some people look at creation and they stop there. They worship creation rather than worshiping the creator. Why look at, into the night sky rather than looking to the one who flung stars into space? A beautiful sunset is captivating, but how much more captivating is the one who said, let there be light. And it's not just his creativity. It's the wonder of forgiveness, the wonder of the hope that we have in Jesus it's the wonder of his kindness, his splendor, his majesty, his grandeur. That's why we worship. When you're wowed, you, you can't contain it. 
And that's why we sing when we come together in our services, our festivals, our events. Our worship is an overflow of wonder. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The wonder of who he is, of what he's done for us. Worship is the foundation from which everything else flows. Worship is not the warm-up to the talk, although you may have felt it was, would be quite good to have a warm-up for this talk. But worship is a dynamic encounter with the living God to experience his Holy Spirit. And that's why we give space to worship in our gatherings. That's why I can't wait for Kingdom Come on Tuesday night. Hundreds of young people just gathering here with the simple purpose of putting God central and worshiping him. We wanna express our wonder. Last Friday, I was taking a wedding here at HTB and the bride was ready to come down the aisle and the groom was standing just here in the front and as the bride began to come down the aisle, the, the, the groom it was the most amazing wedding I've ever been to. He, he just started high-fiving all of his groomsmen. <laughs> and he was so visibly excited. And he, he kind of, he was doing this. He was like, yes, yes, like that. And I was standing here in my robes, just trying to look as Anglican as I could. inside I was thinking this is amazing like the bride's coming down he's there and you know he, at one moment he sort of started laughing and then he started crying and his mum had to come out and sort of giving him some tissues and and as his bride came down the aisle and she got to about the front I couldn't believe it he went up and he literally chest pumped his best man <laughs> there was no question in my mind that he was head over heels in love. He was utterly wowed by his bride. And he couldn't contain it. It just spilled out. He was literally lost in wonder. That's a great title for an album, by the way. <laughs> you know, but seriously, that song, Lost in Wonder, it, it is what it says on the tin. It's a song expressing the wonder of who he is. That's why I wrote it. The wonder of Jesus. There's a line in it that says, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. I'm set free. That causes us to wonder in worship. Second thing is worship is warfare. Worship is not escapism. Worship is so often a choice. We worship in the, the midst of life, in the midst of our struggles, whatever comes our way, because he's worthy. We're commanded to worship, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, irrespective of how we feel, irrespective of what we might be going through. We choose to worship. We choose to let go, trusting in his plans, his purpose and his faithfulness. Maybe that you've come here today and you are facing a battle in your life. Maybe a battle in the, the mind in some way. 
maybe a battle with your own identity, maybe a battle physically with a health issue that you're facing. We all face battles. But it's in those moments where we choose to worship. When the children won't sleep, we're up in the middle of the night and it's desperate, we, we choose to worship. When things aren't going so well at work, on the tube, put the headphones on, we can worship. When that work colleague is being a pain, we can choose to love them. And in that moment with our lives, worship. See, the Apostle Paul, he was facing his own battle. He's writing this letter from prison in Rome. He's facing fear, he's facing persecution, incarceration, isolation. And yet he writes these words, which are themselves a hymn of praise, a song of worship. In the early church, some of the most important truths were documented as songs. They had a, a, a rhythm, a rhyme to the way that they are written. It's believed that this is one of those songs. And when we worship, we remember. The reason they did that was so that they could memorize that truth. When we come together in our worship, it enables us to remember who he is. We take our eyes off of ourselves. We fix our eyes on him. And again, we gain perspective in our worship. Our battles are won and lost on the fields of praise. Not just personal battles. Also in our nation and, and globally, we're facing battles in our nation. I think about our young people, the rise of knife crime. I think of marriage, family life, the rise of poverty in society. I was reading this week about the increase in food banks in schools, the increase in welfare, having to buy uniforms for children, the battle for unity in our nation. It may not have escaped your attention that there's a battle going on at the moment in Parliament. But I believe that there is a bigger spiritual battle going on and it's a battle for the soul of our nation. And as we worship as the church of Jesus Christ, we are called to stand in the fight. It's not just a catchy song. This is how I fight my battles. Worship is a weapon that we wield that does warfare in the heavenlies. I love the story in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20, King Jehoshaphat. It says that he's facing a vast army. And rather than just rallying an even bigger army, what he does is he calls a fast amongst all the people. And they bow down and they pray. And as a result, this prophet comes forth and says to him, do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And King Jehoshaphat, he puts the, it sounds just utter foolishness, he puts the musicians and the, the singers in the front of the army. Can you imagine Josh Baines with his little legs <laughs> and, and his guitar? I love Josh. And the band all at the front, you'd be thinking this. But as a result of the worship, they win the victory. And they're delivered 
on that day. See, when we step into worship, we step into the war room. We as a church are on a war footing, knowing that Jesus ultimately has won the battle over sin, death, disease, destruction, and the devil. And I wanna encourage you today, whatever you're facing, no weapon formed against you shall prosper because of what Jesus has done. So worship is wonder, it's warfare. Finally, worship is witness. Some of you will have heard of Soul Survivor, a ministry to young people, and they have been running festivals for 27 uh, years, led by Mike Pilavacci. And my three older sons had the privilege of going this summer to the last one the last ever Soul Survivor Festival, and they joined 32,547 other young people in a field, in a big tent in Peterborough with basically the the sole intention of just worshiping Jesus. I love what Mike says. He says, magnificent Jesus met with us in the compassionate, merciful, and powerful way only he can. I'm so grateful for all that we've witnessed. It's all about Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus. We bow the knee and we worship. As a result of that worship, over 2,000 young people this summer gave their lives to Jesus. It's, I find it staggering that, you know, just, just picture this. Young person in school, hey, do you wanna to come to Soul Survivor? Yeah, what is it? It's a festival. Oh yeah, I'll go to a festival. They come to Soul Survivor and they encounter Jesus in the worship and their whole life is changed for the rest of their life. Do you know that our theological college, St. Melitus, is littered with people who became Christians over these last 27 years at Soul Survivor? And they are now the ones who are gonna be the leaders of the church. That's the witness of worship. People experiencing the love of God and his power. And that's what we see every time on Alpha especially on the Alpha Weekend away, as we worship, the Holy Spirit comes and meets with people. The worship is a witness. I love seeing what's happening in our network churches. A couple of weeks ago, I saw this Instagram post picture of uh, what's happening in Birmingham. This is Tim and Rachel's church, Tim and Rachel Hughes at Gas Street. And every Monday night, they're sending out worship teams onto the streets. And uh, this is what one of the people who went with them said. He said, I walked over to two guys sitting nearby who'd been drawn and came to listen as, and we started chatting. They opened up about drug addictions and health issues going on in their lives. I got to pray with them and after talking a little more, they both said they believed that God was real, but because of their past, they could never know him. I asked them if they ever asked Jesus into their heart and they said no. So I asked, would they like to do that tonight? And they said, yes. A little bit of worship on the streets and then people are giving their lives to Jesus. Worship is a witness. Why? Because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. His spirit is here when we gather together and your worship is powerful. Your worship is a witness to the whole world. Nikki was telling us this week in our staff meeting of an article that had been written in an Australian newspaper. 
uh, the journalist Greg Sheridan, he'd come to one of the services here at HTB in the morning. He had been watching your worship. The article's called Something to Believe in. There are signs of a resurgence in Christian faith among Britons. There certainly is. This is what he says. The scene is rocking. Most racially diverse I have encountered in contemporary London. Lots of Afro-Caribbeans, plenty of Asians, lots of white folks too. I get to be there. (laughs) And almost every other variety you can imagine. The joint, I love that, the joint is hopping. Singers and guitars and a big, big sound. Boom, boom, boom. Your worship is a witness all over the world. The photo that they attached to that article was a photo of the leadership conference that we hold every year at the Royal Albert Hall. A picture of thousands of people worshiping Jesus in unity from every nation, every country. And that is a picture of heaven a glimpse of what we're going to be doing into eternity when every tribe, nation, tongue, language will come together. And as Paul says here, bow the knee, confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord. And the most amazing witness to the world is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He's the supreme example of perfect worship. But Jesus experienced the power of letting go. Jesus had everything under his control. He was all powerful and yet he let go. Literally, Paul says that he he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant He humbled himself. And when Jesus was in the ultimate battle in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, he was literally in the war room on our behalf. He was on the war footing. He was sweating drops of blood. But in that moment, Jesus looks to his father in worship and wonder. He says, Father, everything Everything is possible for you. But take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He chose to let go. He chose to give up control. And Paul says here in this song, this letter, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Christ is Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like to stand, please?